the head kick. What a goal from Sinanung Goals. The scintillating scissor kick to bring Verona level. Hello and welcome back to Seiya uh, Spotlight. This is episode 102 and we're your hosts Jake and Matt here to cover all the events of match day 14 in Serie A. It was a weekend of worldies, brother. Quite literally and thankfully Cyril Ngonj uh, came in and, and made no debate because where there's a bicycle kick of that nature... We're yeah, we're, we're absolutely sold. But there were some other bangers. Um, Malinowski... With his second goal in two matches with that um, outswinging um, low volley yeah, from outside the area. The technique on that was so good. Beautiful. Man. You see it from the angle from which he shot like POV. It was outstep, right? Kind of, yeah, 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 outstep yeah, yeah. of his, his Chalanoglu. Chalanoglu's rocket man. Ooh. Barella in that Sotil. same game. Sotil, where it hit the yeah. crossbar and went in off the post. Liko Janis with Inch a free perfect. kick. Like a free kick from just outside the area is one of the most difficult free kicks to mm. execute because you, you need to get it up and down instantly. And that was perfect. Yeah. Barella's goal, like Barella... skiing, you know, his left, right, like my knees collapse. Just thinking the... about that, like uh, Lena said on the, <laughs> the, the Patreon group chat. Some of the best three touches that, that I've seen in the six yard box. Yeah. Um, six goal cannot be underrated. Obviously, the Manian assist, the way he took the ball down, um, got past his defender and chipped the goalkeeper. Yeah, that was quite lovely. Goals of the highest caliber. And then you look at two goals that were literal mistakes. They were also worldies as well. And Valentin Carboni from yep. Monza, who yep. kind of cross shot, you know, and the kind of bounce went into the back of the net. And Bresciannini against Milan, against his former club, uh, Milan youth product. He whipped in a ball. Um, no striker got to it, but Manian was rooted to the spot as he was expecting a striker to, to touch the ball and ended up in the yeah. back of the net. Like, yeah, great goals this weekend, man. Amazing goals. Literally a weekend of worldies don't forget to follow us guys um on our socials we're on tiktok instagram twitter and youtube at seria spotlight and don't forget to give us a rating wherever you're listening be it spotify yeah. apple google podcast or even youtube rate us five stars because we want to maintain that five star average that we have going on we're very we like very that. proud very very proud of that um you don't always have to be honest like yeah, like maybe we're not always five stars, but you'll give us five star skill moves. Yeah. Five, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's Latin and always have five star skill moves. You still give it to him, you know? Still give it to him. Um, it would be cool, guys, if you followed our YouTube, especially if you haven't. It would really support us. Um, our YouTube's kind of small because we never really focused on it in the past, but to be honest, it's a good um, place to, to grow in general. Yeah, and it big would be mistake nice to have, our end. Yeah, it would be nice to have a community as well in the comment section as well. We get a few comments here and there, but it would be cool if um, some of you guys went on YouTube to write down your, your thoughts. Yeah, what was that comment that we got on, on our last episode on YouTube? Well, 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 if it ain't my two favorite girls. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are, hey. brother. Hey. <laughs> hey, sister. <laughs> it's your two favorite girls. Love that. Girls. That made me laugh so much. Man. Your two <laughs> favorite girls. <laughs> it's our one and only comment on the video, so it really, really stands out. Like, Yeah, but before we get cracking, I just want to give a shout out to our patrons. These are the people who keep Seiya Spotlight going. These are the people who keep us motivated and driven to deliver this content consistently. They are Mintoff, Mike, Luca, Alan, Andy, Matthias, Edward, Theo, Lena, Tonna, Anthony, 
and David Mastro Battista, who I, I have to say his full name. Yeah, we've, he's the only one that we shall refer to yeah. by full name. Il Maestro. Il Maestro. The list is getting longer and longer. It's nice to see the family grow. Yeah. Before yeah. we get into it naturally, the rundown for all you crazy coups, we're going to start things off with obviously the highlight of this weekend, which was Inter away from home, dismantling the champions three goals to nil like it's absolutely nothing. What a performance by Inter um, to start this this episode off. Monza 1, Juve 2, some very late drama over there. Monza thought they got a last-minute equaliser, but Juve had a little uh, special something up their sleeve, and it turns out he was a bricklayer just six years ago. <laughs> Milan 3, Frozenone 1, Milan decimated side, but Back to winning ways. Torino 3, Atalanta 0 in what was the upset of this weekend. Um, and it happened just last Monday. Sassuolo 1, Roma 2. Sassuolo were doing well, but they did get a red card which shifted the tide towards Roma's favour. Lazio 1, Cagliari 0. Lazio just scraping past the newly promoted side over there. Udinese 3, Verona 3. There's always a lower table uh, match that provides the biggest spectacle of the weekend. This time it's Udinese-Verona. Lecce won, Bologna won, Bologna finally held and it took a a last-minute goal by Lecce from the penalty spot. Fiorentina 3, Salernitana 0, no problem for Italiano's men over there. And Genoa won, Empoli won. It was Malinowski's goal which was cancelled out by Cancellieri's header later on in the match. All right, that's it. Thank you for listening. Yes, sir. Now we'll get into the <laughs> bit of chat over here about the first game that we're going to be covering, which is Napoli nil Inter 3, brother. So Victor Osimhen was back in the starting 11 after two months um, out due to his thigh injury. Um, but Mario Rui and Oliveira were still injured, so Nathan had to move to left-back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mazzari also preferred to start Elmas in the midfield over Zielinski. Uh, I do believe Zielinski was carrying a bit of a knock, um, but it's good to change things up a little bit over there, and Elmas is also a, a quality player. Whereas Inter had um, Alessandro Bastoni and Benjamin Pavard still injured, which meant that they had to line up with a back three of Darmian, Devray and Acerbi and then we'll see as you guys will see in the rundown that that early on in the match this defensive um, crisis that Inter are having vis-a-vis injuries not vis-a-vis conceding goals went from bad to worse due to another injury the atmosphere was naturally electric coming yeah, into this course. game brother Maradona. obviously it's the Maradona stadium hosting Inter uh, where Inter actually had only won one out of their last 17 in Serie A at yeah. the Maradona, which is absolutely fucking crazy. Yeah, and especially when you take into consideration the manner with which they won mm. over here. Yeah, you'd think they would have done this more often. A couple of seasons ago, Napoli won this game 3-1. So the tides shift so much from season to season in Serie A. Of course. At the moment, which is making it so exciting. Um so surprise starter Elmas took a strike from distance in the second minute, forcing a fantastic save from Sommer, who tipped it around his far post. Um, Turam had the ball in the net in 12 minutes after a 1-2 with Lautaro Martinez, but he had wandered just inches offside. 
In the 18th minute, De Vrij sustained a muscle injury and he was replaced by Carlos Augusto who filled in at left centre-back. I initially thought that he would go as a left wing-back and DeMarco would go as a left centre-back because he's played there before. But mm. no, Carlos Augusto went straight into left centre-back um, and they kept DeMarco as a wing-back, which is probably well, it was wise considering how they both continued to play. In the 35th minute, Politano had an insane tira gira, which was denied by the woodwork for what would have been an insane goal. It wasn't a bad start by Napoli, actually, man. They had a few attempts. Um, yeah. But then, on the stroke of halftime, Chalanoglu opened the scoring for Inter through a powerful half volley from just outside, well, from well outside the mm-hmm. area. Um, it was a massive goal for Inter, massive goal for Chalanoglu. Um, he scored six goals in Serie A this season, seven if you count the Champions League. He normally converts them from the spot, but this time, brilliant goal from, from way outside the area. And just before half-time, which really, really um, um, shifted the momentum in Ter's favour. There was some controversy in the build-up as Lautaro collided with Lobotka. Um, mm. Referee said nothing doing. Um, in hindsight, Luca Marelli actually did say that the referee should have whistled. Yeah. Um, there were two moments of contact, I believe. There was the the upper body and the the foot collision as well. Um, again, it, it's controversial, and I guess it can be interpreted differently by different referees. But but yeah, and this time it was allowed to. Yeah, go on. I don't think that, like a lot of people say, ah, oh, there was obviously contact. The the replay shows the contact. I guess it's the significance of the contact that mm. the referee needs to see while the game is going on. VAR, that's what it does. It slows it down. It makes everything significant. This isn't an easy call to make. Perhaps he made the wrong call. Um, uh, but hey, it doesn't affect the outcome. We're here discussing a three 0 victory, and that was one of the three goals. In the 57th minute, Guevara's strike from a tight angle forced a super save once again by Sommer, who pushed it wide for a corner. Um, there were shouts for a penalty in the build-up as Acherbi collided with Osimen inside the area. Now, this, to me, was clear. It was clear to you. It was a clear penalty to me. This is the one Marelli said that... Um, is, is, was the referee Massa? What's his name? Uh, the referee for this game Nas- Nasti- was Massa. Massa, Massa, Massa. Yeah. that's one. It's like, uh, no way can he have the same name as the Formula One driver, the former <laughs> Formula One driver, but he does. Um, yeah, Marelli said Massa made the right call by no whistling. Now, what's Marelli's logic over here, apart from having a really weird surname? <laughs> <laughs> Marelli Madonna is what yeah. we say in Maltese when we're freaking out exactly. about something. Very appropriate. But no. it's, it's the same It's the same thing. Like, there's obviously contact. It was uh-huh. a, um, a Cherby's leg to the side of Ossiman's shin. Thing is, was it significant enough? Well, I question. don't know if it was, was it significant enough or not. You know, I mean, if, if there's contact with the man before the ball, that's meant to be a, a penalty, no? especially if it's feet. But in real but time, I, mean, I thought it was a penalty. Same here, and even slowed down. I thought it was a penalty per- personally, but apparently Luca Marelli, Madonna, and Massa <laughs> thought differently. So no problem. Um, I mean, penalty or no penalty, I, I we can never t- say how the game would have actually gone if it happened, or this is all you know hypothetical. So yeah, Ex- like it, it probably would have made a world of a difference because momentum, course, confidence, yeah. so on and so forth. But but again, it's the outcome of the game that we're here to discuss. Um, and the fact that Inter managed to demolish these top sides with so much swagger and grace. Madonna, it. man. 
They doubled their lead in turn the 61st minute through Barella. He received the ball in a very tight space inside the area after a square ball by Lautaro Martinez. With three touches, he made quick work of Ostegard and Nathan and had the ball in the bottom corner from very close range. His first goal of the season and mamma mia, what a goal it was. Um, and a, a, a very well-weighted pass by Lautaro Martinez over there. You see so many players just blindly cunting the ball into the box. But Lautaro, so professional, world-class to be honest. He, he waited, he picked out his teammate and, and brilliant assist by him. And that's what being on good form gives you. You don't crumble under pressure. You don't think to yourself, I need to get this ball into the box as soon as possible before I lose it, before everyone hates me. You know, mm. there, there's none of that. Lautaro right now is the the goat for Inter. You yeah. know, he's been on fire. So in that situation there, he had all the confidence in the world to slow it down, look up, mm-hmm. find Barella running in, play him the ball. And then Barella had the composure and... Madonna. The, it was crazy how he just took the ball and just left, right, left, like shifting, like he was skiing, man. You know, on and then Red placing Dead, it into the bottom corner. That you know, was such you know, a good goal, man. On Red Dead Redemption, yeah. when you're like surrounded by people who are trying to kill you, and there's this combination of buttons you could press to slow everything down. Ah, but dead your eye. guy, da- Dead Eye, yeah. everyone slows down except for you, so you can shoot five people in a in a split second. Yeah. I feel like in in this goal, Lautaro and Barella both had a dead eye <laughs> because they, they just the the manner in which they moved it's it's like it's in slow motion, it's particularly like Barella, a, man. Alien kind of being, like alien beings playing against humans. It's you know, surreal, like man. Yeah, yeah, it's Absolutely true. Absolutely, totally, I totally get what you. And saying. then, as if that wasn't enough, in the 84th minute, they sealed the deal as if it wasn't mm-hmm. sealed. Before, I actually had the audacity to write here that they sealed the deal. <laughs> the Ram tapped in a low, powerful cross by Cuadrado. This took place after 22 great passes by Inter. It's not like they were just playing the ball around at the back, but they were toying yeah. with Napoli. One of the passes was a fucking... We used to call this a Hollywood pass back in the day from one side of the pitch all the way to the other flank to Cuadrado, who smashed it in to Ram. Finished the fin- finished into the mm-hmm. back of the net, took his shirt off in celebration, and he's yeah, yeah, swinging yeah. it in the air like, like he was on a cruise, and the captain is coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like it's a party, man. They're they're taking the piss at this point. Inter, they are so 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 they're, fucking good, man. They're decimating anyone in their path as long as it's not Sassuolo, of course. Um, let's look at let's take a look at quickly how how they've performed against some of the top teams. In Serie A, right? God. So we have um, match day three. They beat Fiorentina 4-0. Match day four, they beat Milan 5-1. Match day 10, they beat Roma 1-0. Match day 13, granted, okay, they drew to Juve 1-1, away from home. And then match week 14, they beat Napoli away 3-0. So, you know, this this is a team that's just on another level at the moment. Especially when they're fully fit, we know what they're capable of doing. Um, Inzaghi has really stepped up as a manager and and his system seems to be pretty much flawless, man. And uh, we saw a little bit of um, how this could be countered early on in this game against Napoli. I think that Mazzari double-marking the wings really yep. limited them. Kind yep. of. Um, 
till they eventually manage to break free because they've got too much quality. Okay, you, you tightly mark the wings, he's going to play it to the middle. Chalanoglu is going to rifle it into the back yeah. of the net or Barella or Mikitar. And these are all very clever football players. So they have a nice mix of like power, intelligence and technique in their team. And then at the back, they've got experienced players in Darmian, Devraya, Cherby. Those guys are going to hold the fort. They're going to keep it tight. And they're starting to trust Summer as well. So like, if you want to attack Inter, you're going to have to shoot from a distance and they don't mind. Sommer doesn't mind that. They no. trust him and he's very capable of making these saves. No, and what a game Sommer had. There's no... I don't think anyone doubted the quality of a goalkeeper he was. All those years at Mönchengladbach, those years at Bayern Munich, what he's done for Switzerland. Yeah. Um, we know that he commands his area very well. Um, he's good at saving shots from the stop, long distance, um, everything. He's just such a well-rounded goalkeeper and finally he's getting to show it like you said Mazzari the approach was decent mm-hmm. they double marked the wings um they did a good job over there Dumfries and DeMarco but they didn't get a sniff but they weren't as involved as they typically are but then you've got Anguissa Lobotka Elmas against Barella Chalhanoglu and Mikitarian. and over there that's where Napoli lost the game Barella Chalhanoglu Mikitarian, the balance in that mm-hmm. midfield, the fact that Barella in this game was allowed to go more attacking. Typically, we see Mkhitaryan filling in that more attacking role. But in this game, we really saw Barella getting into that final third in the pocket. And he caused so many problems for Napoli in this yeah. game. They won the game. You block our wings? Sure, man. We'll, we'll win the game win. in midfield. Exactly. Like No problem whatsoever. And it didn't help, of course, that Napoli had two players out of position. They had Nathan playing as a left-back and Elmas playing in the middle, of course. Um, however, there is something going on with Inter right now, a crisis of some sort, no? Um, yeah. Defensive crisis right now. Who was it who fell injured? This De Vrij fell injured. Uh, Pavard was already injured. Um, Bastoni's uh, injured. Bastoni was already injured. And during this game, actually, something I didn't mention is that Dumfries fell injured and he was replaced by Quadrado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is a bit of a defensive crisis right now. Let's see if they have the depth to deal with it. Um, another factor that that played a part in this game, I think, is the midweek fixture, right? Mm. Napoli had Real Madrid, Yeah. where they went they went out guns blazing. They played everyone except for Ozyman, basically, yeah. and who they brought on, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they put up a fight and they still lost, right? Um, Inter, on the other hand, had their Champions League fi- fixture, which they had already. They already threw their group right, yeah, pretty yeah. much. So Inzaghi rotated the entire team. Yeah, heavy rotation. We're talking Sanchez, Arnautovic up front. We're talking Fratesi in the middle. Heavy rotation, and they were down three nil. Eventually, they managed to come back three three. But that's another story. It's besides the point. Inter were fully rested for this game, and they were fully prepared. While Napoli maybe should have prioritized this game a little bit they're still going through in the Champions League there's one more game left you don't have to beat Real Madrid you can't sacrifice that game now I don't know if if this is something that Mazzari would have considered doing and then De Laurentiis told him no listen this is our European reputation I don't Mm. want you to to tarnish it by just throwing the game against Real Madrid and going out without the players I want to show the world what we have in our arsenal um, but clearly it, they, it backfired because they got smashed by Real Madrid and they got smashed by Inter shortly yeah. after so sometimes you just have to manage these situations better like that's what makes a good coach to be honest yeah and, and the, that that's brilliant. that's literally it um, as well as that 
I mean, these these players that they have, they're so capable of playing the system that is set out for them. Um, which really goes to show the unity and the confidence that this team has. What did we used to say about Napoli last year when they were decimating everyone in front of them the same way Inter are doing it now? It's that everything they are touching is turning to gold mm-hmm. and they've got that swagger. They're, they're in complete stillness when they're playing the game. And at the moment, that's what Inter have. Confidence is a mad, mad thing of course, man. in football. Of I course. want to talk a bit about... Napoli, not from a performance perspective, because we know they started the game off on the offense. They were actually having quite a bit of success, but unfortunately for them, a decision didn't go well, a couple of decisions didn't go their way, um, which both could have gone their way on any other day with any other ref, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a few cracks at goal, and Sommer was on top form, but the game went the way it did. But let's see what have what has led Napoli to the situation. Champions, they fucking murdered everyone last year. Head and shoulders above everyone. Yeah, everyone. Except that one time. Huh? Except that one time. Crazy man. Um that was four nil huh? four that was nil. fucking four nil at the But anyway, besides the point. Um De Laurentis He's quite a terrorist, isn't he? He's a, bro, he's an assassin, bro. He's an assassin. He is... Um, he can't have nice things. No. Because he, he... Especially in a world where other people get credit, I believe. Because he created a team that was one of the strongest teams in Europe. A team that was destroying teams in the Champions League. They they were on all on steroids, it was like. Oh, it was year. crazy. It was... They, they were a powerhouse and Spalletti was a manager who needed to be protected at all costs with what he was doing and Ozzie and Gvaratskelia they were outstanding revelations and Lobotka mm-hmm. as well in the middle was so good man Spalletti had this team ticking so so well but then you know you see Spalletti starts passing oh Spalletti sorry you see De Laurentiis starting to pass comments in the press about like taking jabs at Spalletti about losing to Milan in the Champions League and then raising tickets ticket prices to piss the fans off like right when they're about to win the first Scudetto in I don't know how many years like like, take care of your team take care of your people why are you self-sabotaging so much he's like He's like one of those, one of those like white girls, you know. I'm gonna break up with him. And then, like, no, no, he's perfect. It's like I know. I'm gonna break up with him. No, dude, take care of him, <laughs> man. And and so he lets Paletti go. Probably shocker. His ego is, is way too high to keep someone that's getting all the praise. He's probably thinking, look, I've got two world class forwards. I've got a perfect metronome in Lobotka. I've got Kvar, I've got Ozyman. We don't need a, yeah. a, a top manager. We're world class. Yeah. He let him go. At a point, there was interest to employ Tiago Motta. Yeah. And they were clo- close. They were discussing with Tiago Motta. And Tiago Motta asked, who's going to be the sporting director of this team? The Laurentiis is like, who needs a sporting director? I'm here. I'm the guy. Motta, who is smart enough to smell and call bullshit, was like, I'm good with Bologna. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. the offer. So what does he do? He's like, okay, fine. I'm just going to find someone that plays a 4-3-3. Yeah, right? an offensive brand of 4-3-3, right? For some reason, he opts for someone who was just coaching in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> 
he does that. He brings him to Serie A, one of the best leagues in the world, straight from Saudi Arabia. Sure, he's got experience, this and that, but you don't bring Rudy Garcia straight. I mean, it's not even about the personnel, in my opinion, because Rudy Garcia has had success in his career at Marseille and at Roma. He was okay at times. Um, it's just the fact that there was no need to get rid of the man he had because that, that he was he was perfect. He was perfect. No, exactly. And was and, but at and... least adequately replace him if you're going to do that. Have something either better lined up or an investment for the future yeah. as Motta would have been. Now they ended up with Walter Mazzari again. Exactly. Now yeah. they I ended mean, up granted, with... he's loved in Naples, but obviously there's a step down eh? I mean, uh, absolutely. And now, no. and now Roma, sorry, I interrupted you. Now Roma are in contention for top four as well, and it's not even a guarantee for Napoli. The defending champions aren't even guaranteed Champions League football next season. This That's is kind thing. of like a, a repeat of what happened with Milan, but it's all because of the management. Absolutely. All. And and that that is what I have to say about Napoli, because you look at their system, to to be completely honest, they're not even bad. They, they they are a great team, Napoli. They just mm. got absolutely outplayed over here. But it feels like the entire system above them is working against them. And this is if if the owner if you are the owner of Napoli, you must share the values of the city. And the values of the city are they, they take absolutely top priority. It is mm-hmm. football for the people. You look after your people. You don't fucking put ticket prices up when you're about to win your first Scudetto in 30-odd years. Yeah, bro. Um, Definitely. But anyway, um, obviously, it's not all negative for Napoli. Um, It's still early days for Walter Mazzari, of course. Um, Defensively, they had been looking sharper. Granted, they, they did concede and they had to kind of answer back and he just kept getting clapped back by Inter. I mean, he he did he didn't even replace Kim Kim, bro. He didn't even replace Kim. No, he brought Nathan. But, so, so he yeah, sure, he brought Nathan. He brought in a, an 18, 19 yeah. year old. They kept Ostegard. Like ah, oh, it's yeah. it's fine. We've got Nathan and Ostegard. Yeah. We're the champions of Italy. We've got Ostegard and Nathan. Just out of fear of spreading misinformation, he's twenty-two, Nathan. But still very young, and your point stands. Yeah. Um, I couldn't help but notice, bro, that when Lautaro Martinez was celebrating one of his goals, um, one of his goals. Sorry, when he was celebrating the victory, because he didn't even score this no, game. No, actually, weird. Funnily enough, um, his sleeve went down a little bit to to reveal. A tattoo, right? Yeah. And all I could see was life you love and right beneath it, life you live. Which I, okay, I'm like, no way he has that. It can't so I, be. I Googled it. So if you look up my search history right now, my phone's like Lautaro Martinez shirtless, Lautaro Martinez <laughs> tattoo, Lautaro Martinez arms. It's like, all right, sus. Um, his tattoo says, live the life you love, love the life you live. So we're going to suggest a few more for him, naturally, right? Bro? Shall you read out all yours and I read out all mine? I think we should do one each, bro. Okay. And then if we have any more left over, we'll go, right? So I have um, Live, Love, Laugh. I think you should get next. That's a good one. That's yeah. a good one. I've got Fool Me Once, Shame on You. Fool Me Twice, Shame on Me. That'd be a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> live every moment. Laugh every day. Love always. Beautiful. Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. She sells seashells on the seashore. Your jealousy is my energy. You can't judge a book by its cover. Live to love, love to live. The grass is always greener on the other side. One life, one love. 
Where there is desire, there is going to be a flame. Where there is a flame, someone's bound to get burned. But just because it burns doesn't mean you're going to die. You got to get up and try, try, try. So we sincerely hope that Lautaro Martinez takes our recommendations and um, gets one of these fantastic quotes tattooed on his body along with his already fantastic quote. He should get that as a prize to himself for being inevitably the Capocano Niere this year. Inter are first on 35 points, Napoli fifth on 24 points. All right, let's jump to Juve, bro. Juve faced Monza away from home and um, Allegri did the classic Allegri thing, right? Where where he had a slender victory and he tried to hold it for late and then there was a massive heart attack yeah. at the end and they managed to recover <laughs> miraculously, okay? But let's get through, let's go through this game because there's quite a lot to unpack over here. So Monza actually started this game without a striker, opting for a dynamic front line of Machine, Colpani and Churia. Fucking hell. Yeah, brave, dude. Paladino is a brave, brave man. Um, Alexandro, Cambiazzo and Nicolucci, along with Vlaovic, start. Nice to see Allegri giving Nicolucci another shot, despite Locatelli being better. Um, He's he's recovered, Locatelli, but he's still playing Nicolucci because he's actually been pretty decent. Yep. So, 10 minutes into the game, Kyriakopoulos pulled Cambiazzo in the box and the penalty was awarded. Vlaovic stepped up to take the penalty with another five celebrations in his pocket. <laughs> he went left, but so did Di Gregorio, pulling off an emphatic save and then springing to life for the rebound as Vlaovic bounced shotted back on target and Di Gregorio sprung out of nowhere to make a fantastic double save. Beautiful. All his teammates were around him celebrating him. That was a fantastic double save by Di Gregorio, who is, I believe, this season's Vicario in Italy. He is the next goalkeeper to grab. He's the next goalkeeping bargain. And I do have a talking point about Manian asking for for eight million a season. Um, when you could get someone for Di Gregorio and probably pay him two or three million a season. But you can stick those eight million up your ass. You can stick those eight million up your ass. Yeah, no chance, no chance. That's a luxury salary for a goalkeeper. A that's a team that that sit. That's a prize that City or PSG afford to pay a yeah. goalkeeper. But anyway. Um, right after this fantastic double save, Nicolucci took the corner and Rabio fucking towered over everyone, particularly Gagliardini, and headed it home. Right, right after the action, right after, which shows a a nice. It's a very positive sign for Juventus to to fail like that and to take a hit like missing a penalty and then missing an open goal and to yeah. convert the corner right off. That's that a was, theme in this game for you. It is. Actually. It totally is never giving up and reacting and being proactive, right? Never giving up is another good shout for, for Lautaro, Lautaro Martinez. Yeah. Fantastic. Never don't give up. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, Nicolucci got the assist actually for taking the corner. Um, good goal by Rabiot. And then of course... You've uh, kind of slowed down the tempo, dominated the game a little bit until the 91st minute where Valentin Carboni came on. The man we hailed in the question segment of the previous episode, the 18-year-old defender um, who's got some nifty feet. Um, He whipped in a cross shot. Do you pay to see those? (laughs) Only fans. Um, He whipped in a cross shot, um, which wasn't struck by the striker. I believe Colombo had come on at this point. And um, the ball found its way into the back of the net. And as the ball entered the back of the net, you see Gagliardini, who um, had been marking Rabiot on Rabiot's goal, run up to Rabiot and like shout something in his face. And you can clearly see this on TV. Like Gagliardini's talking shit to Rabiot right after this this equalizer. 
So Juve kick off right after, right? It's like the fucking 92nd minute, 93rd minute. Um, Rabiot gets the ball and he just drives forward. You can tell he is pissed off. Yep. He's fuming. All he's thinking right now is like, I hate Gagliardini. <laughs> I hate Gagliardini. And he's charging forward. Like, dude, he was a horse. He pushed forward. He set up Gatti. Gatti, God bless him, missed the ball first time. He's lucky it just bounced up into place. Like, basically, it was like, try again. Like, the ball he, he turned again. Like, literally, right? if you had to tell me this guy was a bricklayer five years ago, not surprised. He turned again and just rifled into the back of what the What a guy, though, full, man. Full power. And then just ran straight to the Juve fans. Like, what a moment that was. What a guy, Seems. Gatti. Did, er, earlier this year, like, he was the, the talk of the town for being for sticking out like a sore thumb in that Juve defense um, especially after that own goal he scored against Sassuolo early on in the season since then he scored two goals this one being in the last minute um, he's living the life right now man he's one of the best uh, Italian centre-backs in the league yeah he's doing a great job he's doing a very good job and his rise to the top couldn't have been handled with more maybe not grace but <laughs> but he's doing he's doing a great job man you can tell he's the guy's driven he's motivated he's got a top fucking mentality like mm. and, and and you can tell his teammates love him as well uh-huh. what do you make of this Gagliardini shit so yes after the game um Rabio took to took to twitter or took to instagram sorry on his instagram story and posted a screenshot of, of Gagliardini screaming in his face and wrote down um something along the lines of the game is 90 minutes long you shouldn't um, celebrate until the game is yeah. over. Be smart. And then like a finger pointing to a brain like the emojis. Mm. Gagliardini, a day later, took him 24 hours of thinking, <laughs> replied saying something along the lines of what happens on the pitch stays on the pitch. Go cry to your mother. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty cool. Huh? I yeah. love when footballers are so vocal about like their resentments like, and their, their beef. Just be like Gagliardini, you know what I'm saying? Obviously joking. Like, So I'm, I'm fine with the shithousery. I'm mm-hmm. on, on the pitch. I'm okay. I'm, I'm not too fast about like, there was the equalizer. Mm. He screamed in Rabiot's face. Now, is it smart? Is it ethical? No, but like one of my favorite games of football that I've seen in the last year was the Netherlands against Argentina. Argentina. Oh Full God, of shit houses, talking shit to each other. Um, naturally, I, I prefer the more stoic approach to footballers. There's this uh, particular match, I believe, between United and Bayern Munich back in the day where um, Ruud van Nistelrooy misses a penalty and Oliver Kahn screams in his face, takes the piss out of him. And like 10 minutes later, Ruud van Nistelrooy scores a goal and he does nothing about it. He just goes, does his own thing, celebrates. Um, at the end of the game, shook his hand and, and moved on. That That's the idea. I mean, but that, a bit of shit, how's Fuck it. That's being a big man, eh? But, but in, in, and van Nistelrooy, to be honest, didn't need to care about what anyone thought because he was fucking brilliant. I'm fucking Ruud but, van Nistelrooy. He's like. Ruud van Nistelrooy. Like, but, but, dude, when it comes to... Football, football is a sport. Sports are competitive, man. Yeah. Like, like, it's... I love seeing the shit. I love seeing, like, Gagliardini running up to Rabi on screen because that means it, it matters for exactly. them. And in an age where transfer fees have become so abstract, they're so high, like... like Everyone's playing football in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, the, the value has been lost. And you hear players saying, like... like 
moving to to Saudi Arabia exactly like like sacrificing like Kante in his prime or Milinkovic Savic in his prime like yeah. these guys like you can tell for them it, it might just be a job at the end of the day but it is nice to see that for some people it means so much man yeah and that is what I love about Syria and that's what I've always loved it feels authentic mm. there's a lot of shithousery there's a lot of exactly trash talking especially look at Syria B man these guys are constantly shouting in each other's faces and calling mm-hmm. each other off during Covid when there were no fans you could hear it man they're constantly yeah. talking shit these people. the competitive spirit is high and I love that's what I love that to see if those people are willing to die on that pitch then it's going to make an entertaining exactly. game for everyone but then if you're Gagliardini you do that to Rabiot and Two minutes later, Rabiot assists the winner for Juve. Yeah. If you're Gagliardini, give Rabiot his moment. Let him yeah. post on social media. Un- no, understand that, understand that, that you fucked up. Don't go after here saying, go cry to your mother. No, like, bro, but, fuck but, off. But I do kind of agree that what happens in the moment happened in the moment. You know, I mean, when you're on the pitch, it's not a normal situation. You've got... Tens of thousands of people screaming your name. You pumped up on adrenaline. You know, you are, you're so hyped, like you're ready to go. Like, you know, just because you scream in someone's face doesn't mean that, like, you should understand that that's part of the game. Going home and posting on Instagram about it, playing the, the humility response card. is inexcusable. Gagliardini's response, response is showed us that he's a, <laughs> that he maybe he's a fucking isn't, big isn't, baby. He's, he's not the most mature person in no. the world. But neither is Rabiot. Huh? What, why? Because you don't take it to to social media. Why You're, the fuck not, man? What's the point? Why? What what did he achieve out of fuck, it? He, 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 he just took. He it. got his big dick moment. We give him his big dick moment. He, he I fucking, thought he got his big dick he, moment when he, he charged forward, destroying everyone, crossing into the box to get the winner. Uh, let him milk it, That's man. It's, it's fine. Fucking, we're, we're the first ones to parade about Leao be, be, being a bit of a shit house on social yeah, media. All, he took it, it, to, he took honest, it to social it's, media. It's entertaining, but. But you know, if if Gagliardini is is inexcusable, then so is so is Rabiot's action. I think I think that the fact that Rabiot posted on social media warranted a response. I disagree. Okay, fair enough. I disagree. Fair enough. Now we arm wrestle, so we see who's right. <laughs> um, Rabiot was wearing the captain's armband as well, as if it can't get any better for this guy. Um, <laughs> Danilo, he had sex that night for sure. For sure, um, Danilo was unavailable, so he's been made the vice captain. And um, yeah, Rabiot right now is um, a top tier midfielder. Yeah, just just a very complete midfielder as well. The fact that he can give that assist, he can win the ball back, he can dribble, he can score a header. You know what yeah. I mean? He's he's everywhere, man. Um, two, mo- two two more things before we move on, bro. Is um, that I don't know if you caught glimpse of Max Allegri this game. I probably did, but dude. So for there was a torrential storm this game. It was fucking pissing from the sky like this, pissing. I was watching this game at dinner, so I didn't catch the exact details. It was. Don't worry, I prepared a picture to show you. (laughs) For some reason, Allegri decided to wear a woolen beanie in the rain. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that must be? That's like, the worst decision he ever made in history. Like wear a hood. What are you doing? Where? Look at this, bro. Like. (laughs) <laughs> he's drenched look at this jacket he's oh drenched man. he's God. absolutely drenched he's f- he's such a funny guy I think. Funny and guy. I don't mean like great sense of humor just the way he operates it's yeah. like he's an alien trying to figure the world out yeah <laughs> definitely um, 
So Locatelli is recovering from a broken rib, and this game he tried a broken. To walk... I thought it was a bruised rib. Jesus, uh, I think it was broken. I'm I'm not sure. Don't quote me on this. But his rib, he had a mimmy on his rib. Mm-hmm. He had uh, a he had an ouchie on his rib. Exactly. Thank you. And he um he was warming up, and in the end, Danilo ended up coming on in midfield mm-hmm. instead of Locatelli coming on. Because I, I can assume that warming up in that rain with a rib injury and must must have uh-huh. felt fucking terrible. No. But yeah, that's that's basically it. Bro, well, did the Locatelli get pissed off about it? Or? No, 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 nothing. Okay. It's just that he was he was trying to to warm up, and you can tell he was he was uncomfortable. I don't know if it's because mm. it was raining or because of his his rib. He looked to be in some discomfort because of his his chest. I assume it was his rib. Um, and in the end, Danilo came on in midfield, and I thought that was interesting. But he's so versatile, Danilo. Can pretty much pop him anywhere. Uh huh. Rib injuries do tend to linger. So yeah. Um, much be the case. What did you make of? Fucking Monza's decision to start Churia up top. Like, what what was that about? I, th- uh, I, th- I th- I'm not quite sure to be honest with you, bro. Um, I can see the appeal. Like, I can see the logic in not starting a proper number nine when you when you take a look at what they're what they're facing. Maybe in Bremer, Gatti, and Sandro at the back. Mm. Um, maybe they thought it would be easier to pass around them than to just whip it in and try to win the aerial duel. You know what I mean? Um, Juve are quite a physical team and they're very tight and difficult to un- unpack so I, I don't know if maybe they they wanted to get them on the break or if they wanted to kind of take a more dynamic approach passing it around to, to try to mm. attack them I, I did think it was a little bit strange but I'm sure he had a pretty good game to be honest he, he, he had a decent game mm-hmm. he had a decent game just surprised like Colombo's on great form uh-huh. and uh-huh. you come up against Juve you want your and best players it no? could also be to save him as a late weapon because he did come on and there was a lot of focus on him when he came on yeah. later on in the game yeah but yeah it, it, was, it was most certainly a weird thing <laughs> as to where they stand in the table Juventus are second with 33 points, two points behind league leaders Inter. While Monza are in 11th. Um, Torino have overtaken them by one point. Uh, Monza are on 18 points. Let's jump to Milan 3, Frosinone 1. Um, Giroud was still suspended for Milan. Um, Ciao, Leao, Calulu, Kier, Pellegrino, Caldara, Okafor and Sportiello all injured. All of them. Theo started as a makeshift centre-back. And apparently it was his idea. It was Theo's idea. Yeah. Look, what did Suma say once? Paolo Maldini. You remember ah, that? Yes. The uh, Paolo Maldini comparisons. No, he. Uh, I think it was the, the coup of Paolo Maldini. Kind mm. of like picking him up in Ibiza and all that, if I'm not mistaken. Well, maybe Theo fancies himself as a bit of a Paolo Maldini. Starting left-back and you know what? Toss me in centre back yeah, as no well. Problem. Fuck it, maybe he'll mature um, in, in, into a decent centre back as well. He had a very good game over there. Yeah, uh, at his heat map, he basically covered both positions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Florenzi started at at left back. Uh, Jovic started up top since Giroud was still suspended. Um, Pulisic was on the left. Chukwueze on the right. Um, the Canarini missed. B- this, this is a tough one to pronounce. Sufyan Bidawi Bidui Bidui. Bidwi, he was he was out injured. Uh, so was Lirola, Markitza, Harui, and Mazzitelli. Um, none of them were a hundred percent. Milan obviously coming off a devastating Champions League loss against Dortmund. Um, but Chukwueze did get his first goal for Milan over there, so at least the right hand side was brimming with confidence. 
the match started with, let's say, limited excitement. Kind of both teams were struggling to create these clear-cut chances. Um, at a point, Tomori fucked up. Now, Tomori's been insane recently, mm-hmm. but he fucked up at a point, and Marvin Cooney... Uh, was clean through on goal, but he tried to chip Manian. Terrible decision. Clean through on goal. Very, very bad decision. And, and Magic Mike um, stopped that. No problem at all. Um, Milan took the lead on the counter-attack. <laughs> um, Chukweza's cross was cleared by Simone Romagnoli. Um, but that clearance only went as far as Luka Jovic, who volleyed in from eight yards out. Uh, that was Jovic's first goal. In a Milan jersey. Recently, he got his first shot on target. He got a good header on target against Borussia Dortmund. I think that was a turning point. That Dortmund game, man. Yeah, I think so, man. I think I think so. He looked, he, he looked solid in he this looked, game, Lukajovic. He looked present for once. You know? Yeah. Like usually, involved, man. Involved. Yeah, usually, the game passes by him. I feel like exactly he was involved this time. Yeah. Uh, Pulisic doubled Milan's lead with a spectacular goal early in the second half. It was a long ball by Manjan, which was controlled by Pulisic, who skillfully guided the ball into the near top corner with two defenders on the line. Um, brilliant assist by Mike, obviously. Um, I believe he did that last season and the season before as well. So, Mike Manjan, the quarterback. Um <laughs> Tomori added a third goal for Milan, tapping in from close range after Jovic nodded the ball back in from the byline. That's a goal and an assist for um, Luka Jovic and a well-deserved goal by Tomori, who, as I said recently, has been on fine form. Um, but no one talks about today, but when he's when he's not playing that well, it's the first thing Milan fans talk about, but he's been excellent recently, he's Tomori, back, back to his... Back to his when best. he's on form, he's one of the best recovery center backs out there. I think, yeah, um, yeah. despite his mistake in this game, but but yeah, he's Brescian, the last so, man standing in defense right now, and he managed to actually get a goal, which is yeah, quite funny. Yeah, and two great recovering center backs over there, in um, obviously Teo Hernandez yeah. and, and Tomori, some great pace. Um, Brescianini got a consolation goal for uh, Frosinone, making it three-one uh, from an in-swinging cross from a free kick, which. No one touched, not even Mike Manian, and it went into the bottom corner. To add to the celebrations for Milan, because a 3-1 victory over Frosinone in today's day and age, maybe it requires some celebration, um, Ismael Ben Nasser returned to the field. Ben Nasser, Ben Nasser, who is, in case anyone has forgotten, one of the best, if not the best, number sixes in the league. Just yeah. an absolute metronome. So much fun to watch. Definitely. I think, I think it's between him and Lobotka. Him and Lobotka. Yeah, like, Before there was Brozo. Nowadays, we, we have to there talk well, about Chalanoglu sure. as three, well. Those three guys are, are unmatched. And the man. thing is, the importance of Ben Nasser for Milan is, you look at Milan's midfield three, and it's typically, they're all new. You look at, over here, there's Musa, Reinders, Loftus Cheek. Pop Benasser there. Pop Benasser there. And, and he, he, someone that understands Pioli's system yeah. to a T. Someone that can control the tempo of the game. Reinders is good as a box to box. Loftus, yeah. great as a box to box. Over there, we're looking at three box to box midfielders Musa, yeah. Reinders, Loftus Cheek. Benasser comes back in after Afghan now. But he might not go he might to not Afcon. Go to Afcon, yeah. 
Um, he'll, look, he'll bring so much. It's it's massive. It's a massive, Huge. and it almost caught me by surprise when I saw him coming on because I, I I'd forgotten. Mm. I'd I'd forgotten that, that that was even an option having Benasser. Yeah, Benasser is, is Djokovic forgot he existed. Yeah, Djokovic, by the way, the fake ass Milan fan. Didn't even recognize him. He was talking to Leo, high-fiving so Leo. Benassi, so right? disappointing. So disappointing. Yeah. He was standing right next to him, Benassi. He didn't even recognize him. He didn't even know who he was. He didn't even look at him. Like, the bastard. Joking? Damn. But anyway, um, Benassi for me is a pivotal part of Milan. And this is massive. Him coming back means that Milan will have more control. The tempo will be more Milan-oriented in these games. And um, just, yeah, everything goes through Benassi. So that's that's great to have him back. Um I can't help but notice, bro, that when Milan attack, they do this thing that I dislike, mm. where they, they create a, an offensive line of five with someone sitting off the shoulder of Jovic in an attempt to kind of like, I don't know if it's to, to like play a cheeky one-two with him or something. And then you have like one guy or two guys in midfield driving forward and then in front of them, five, five in attack, a straight line of five players. Like, how are you meant to do anything like that. How are you meant to build the play up? What what exactly is the plan there? I, I don't I don't quite understand it. I don't get it as well because when there are those five players running forward, it's typically the the winger that sprints up along with the five players, then slows down yeah. in the final third. And they just so stand everyone's there. like lost just yeah. standing there. There's no movement. And also another thing, Sami Chukweza. Most of the attacks are going down Pulisic's side. Now, Pulisic, outswingers, inswingers, they're there. Now, sometimes they're not precise, and sometimes Jovic can't quite get to them. Chukweze, mm. brother, get into the far post. Attack. Attack, man. What the mm. hell? Yeah. Get, get in there. There were two, three occasions where he could have... Gotten into that far post and smacked think, the of ball. Of course, in. he's still he's still adapting. He hasn't quite hit the ground. Still adapting, like... but the uh, yes, but but then there are also like to me, the, there's common sense as yes, well. Yes, it's yes. like we we play Milan play with one striker. It's not like Lautaro misses it, so fucking Turam is there, or Dybala misses it and Big Rom is there. You, uh, you need your wingers to get more involved. Yeah. That's why Milan went for an attacking winger like Chukwueze rather than having. A Junior Messias or a Salamakers that were more industrious, so to say. I must say, bro, that I was. You, you are right. You are right. That um, Chukweza should be attacking the far post. Um, I must say that I was not expecting this from Jovic. The, 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 the good the, performance. The, the good performance, because this game, man, he. Don't only look at the goal and the assists, look at what was happening around him. Jovic occupied quite a few players and, and he freed up a lot of space for Chukweza and Pulisic. Yeah. And. and and his movement of the ball was actually pretty good, man. And and yeah, I wasn't. I'm his biggest critic. Um, I I'm not a big fan of his play style. I don't think that he has any particular strengths. If he's not moving well off the ball, mm. then he doesn't offer much apart from being a poacher in the box because mm. he doesn't have enough size to beat his man in the air. He doesn't have enough speed to beat his man on a foot race so it's all about his intelligent movement and he has to have that nailed to perfection for him to play well for him to be effective rather yeah and this game he was super effective now don't say oh, it's against Frosinone or whatever because Frosinone right now have proven to be a thorn in the side of many teams and and I, I'm impressed by Jovic this game 
And thankfully, he stepped up because with Giroud injured, if it's not Jovic, then it's going to have to be a 15-year-old boy. Yeah, and you know what, man? Sometimes before you get a goal against Roma, Inter, Napoli, or any of these guys, you need a goal against Frosinone. That steps to success, no? Yeah. And he has struggled. Yes, Frosinone's defense, to be honest, was a bit suspect. Frosinone's defense. Um, the mishit clearance of Romagnoli, the, the failure to do anything about Mike Manian's long ball, frozen on his defense isn't their strong suit. They typically defend by attacking and yeah. by bringing pressure high up the field. Um, but but like I said, you need a goal against Frosinone before you could grab one against the top seven or the top ten for that matter. Um, really impressed by Jovic's performance. Again, as well, same as you, his harshest mm-hmm. critic. But if he can bring it, let him bring it. If, if, bring if he it. brings it, if if you perform... In a Milan shirt, as a Milan fan, I'm your number one fan. It, yeah. it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, where you're from. If you perform in a Milan kit and you're humble and you're hardworking, I'm your number one fan. So Jovic, the, keep it up. A good thing, well, a funny thing that came out um, is that Jovic was spent longer in training now. He trained extra. He was mm. motivated. Like That's what it took, a goal. Mm. You should be training extra when you're not scoring, not when you score. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. It's always good that obviously he's training extra and mm-hmm. whatever. I just find these these news headlines keep, really funny. Keep in mind, whilst we also shot on him when he was at Fiorentina last year, keep in mind his record in Europe was good for Fiorentina. Fiorentina Conference League finalists. Yeah, say I mean Yes, and yes, he, sure. was, he was he was involved and he was scoring over there. Fair. There it, we know what he did at Frankfurt. There, this is the thing. There's something in that guy. There's something Something's we there, know yeah. he's capable. Yeah. But for some reason, I've never watched him do it, bro. I've never watched him do it. He was doing it in Germany and in the Champions League against Real Madrid. He had Rebic celebrating before he even shot. Yeah. yeah. You know, he was he was a killer that the season. Fucking, with, he was Haaland that yeah. year. Like He was really good. In fact, he earned a move to Real Madrid. He moved too early to a big club, to be honest. That's what happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then watching him at Fiorentina, I was just like, this guy's dead. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, this guy's, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to see that he. He actually still has um, some things left to offer, of course, and that maybe he's, he's not as dead as Jake thought he was. Um, maybe. maybe. I, I do think that his goal needed quite a bit of technique huh, to execute as well. It wasn't as straightforward as it looked. Yes, he had time, um, but but there there was one precise area he had to hit the ball because there were two people essentially blocking. Um, there was the goalkeeper and two defenders in front of him, and yeah. for him to volley it through all of them, it was a good finish. Keep in mind, he also got the assist. And keep in mind, like you said, it wasn't just his goal and assist, but his his work throughout the game as well. Yeah, Milan in third on 29 points. They are, to be honest, just four points behind Juve, six points behind Inter, and they are now five points ahead of Roma and Napoli. So it's, it's not like Inter and Juve are cut above the rest. This is still a very, very tight competition. Frosinone in 12th on 18 points, level with Monza. Very good. Um, we can move on to Atalanta, to be honest, bro, with the Contorino. Oh, my home. God. Yeah, this was a Monday night street. Oh, uh, my God. Torino 3, Atalanta nil. If you watched the game in black and white, you would have thought Torino were Atalanta. <laughs> Literally. In fact, um, when it comes to Torino's lineup, 
Um, quite a few changes over here. Vanya Milinkovic Savic set back in goal after their goalkeeper in the previous round um, decided to run out of the box, and uh, yeah, Lord knows what he was thinking. Um, Tameze was in center, was one of the three center backs with Bonjour and Andre Cardo Rodriguez. Bellanova was out on the right, Voivoda out on the left, Linetti and Delic in the middle. I'm reading this because the Torino lineup changes quite a lot. Yeah. Vlasic was playing behind the strikers who were Sanabria and the ex-Atalanta striker Duvan Zapata. Now please note Duvan Zapata is Atalanta's all-time highest goal scorer in Serie A, right? Also playing for Torino. Now. I am happy to see these guys starting alongside each other because I didn't think we were going to see that. By the way, Juric was uh, lining the team up early. Right, yeah, I, I do agree with that for Atalanta it's quite a depleted side their defense is gone and Skamaka is also injured so they lined up with a 3-4-2-1 formation with Jim City Darun and Scalvini at the back Ruggieri and Hatteber on the wings with the usual center midfield partnership of Coop Miners and Ederson but this time it was Lukman and Maranchuk playing behind Charles De Talare up front um, it did not go well man nope. it didn't go well at all and in the 19th minute, Jim City got injured. Um, so they had to bring on Bakker. And Bakker had to play in defense because Scalvini of his size. But he can't, he can't quite Bakker. defend. Yeah, he can't quite defend, can he? Um, and it was very clear from the start when Vlasic squared it to Zapata. And when the ball is squared to Zapata, it happened twice this game. He doesn't just shoot. It's, it's like he can control the ball, pull out a mocker pot. Pack it, fucking put it on, have his coffee, and then shoot. Like, they gave him so much time, yeah. man. Yeah. And he did it twice, you know. So, first he scored in the 22nd minute. Of course, he didn't celebrate, whatever. And then in the 54th minute, um, Scalvini decided to pull Bongiorno to the ground um, in the box, and they were awarded a penalty. Torino, of course. Boys fighting. Antonio Sanabria stepped up and sent the goalkeeper the wrong way to make it 2 0. And then, um, of course, while Atalanta were pushing and trying to find the winner through Pasalic and um, uh, Deke Talara was trying as well. Um, Duvan Zapata scored again. He was squared the ball by Vlasic and this time he took really long to shoot. Yep. He like, took a touch, took another touch, looked around, fucking whistled at one of the girls in the, fan, <laughs> in the, in the, in the stands. Like, and then shot 95th minute, 3-0. Um, yeah, a few things to mention about this game. Charles de Ketelar is very wasteful. Huh? Very wasteful. Um, and you see him at, at some points, he, he gets the ball. He like skips a man, you know, passes the ball around and he goes to, to play the ball on the wing. But he plays it back and the defender has to run all the way back to pick the ball up. Like he's, It's like his confidence is, is fading again, man. And, and that's a red flag in a player huh? when, when you're so moody with your confidence, when you... When you've got high highs and low lows so consistently, it's it's a very it's serious red flag in my opinion. And I mean, we were out here obviously um, campaigning for the Catalari, but hoping he could find better form at Atalanta than he did at Milan. And there were times where he showed more promise for fuck's sake, he even got a goal for <laughs> Atalanta. You know yeah. what I mean? Something he didn't manage with Milan all season. But he still really, really hasn't shown us much, man. He still yeah. really hasn't shown us much. And he needs time, he's, man. He's still raw talent, you know? He's still yeah. so... You watch him play, and you think he's the youngster by a landslide. You think he's a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, like... 
It's true. It's true. And this is a guy who was making Champions League team of the weeks um, two seasons ago. Yeah, man. So, so it's not going well for him at all at the moment. Um, and particularly this game, he did miss a sitter in the 28th minute, one on one with the goalkeeper, and he did mess up a few simple things as well. But yeah, this is a, a serious crisis for for Atalanta. Um, I wonder what Gasperini is gonna do because playing three at the back requires you to have three centre backs, of course. And when you when you're missing you so one, many man. players, they were one standing right now in Scalvini. Um, we'll see. And he had a terrible game, Scalvini. I've never seen him play this badly. No, same. And uh, I, I thought he was rubbish in this game. He had a rubbish performance. But look at the players around him. Like their own. He's you you can't deny how good and how important the Rhone is for for Atalanta. It's mm-hmm. the same thing we say about Lobotka, about Ben Nasser, and and the same thing we say about Chalanoglu nowadays at at Inter. That that's what the Rhone is for Atalanta. But centre back, you know what I mean? Like yeah, like not, sure his standing tackle is okay. He's industrious, but he's not a centre back. But that's what they had to do, and then. Bringing on Bucker because Jim City went out injured. Bucker, who Gasparini himself said he's not settling in well. Yeah. He wasn't playing well in his natural left wing back position, and he put him in that centre back. And you don't you don't blame the side for conceding three goals against Torino, a team that barely score any goals. Like, yeah, yeah. but that that's that's what happens when you have two centre-backs that are out of position and the other one, with respect to Scalvin, you know how highly I think of him, is a 19-year-old defender that maybe needs some quality by his side. Yeah, obviously, it's it's totally the case and he didn't have it. Um, he had nervous people around him and Zapata displayed his experience and the fact that maybe he knows Scalvini from his time in training with mm. him. Because um, in the ninth minute, it was Duvan Zapata who actually forced Scalvini to foul him by letting the ball run between mm. his legs and Scalvini had to pull him, yeah. had to stop him. And that, that might have affected Scalvini's performance as well. A yellow card in the ninth minute, that's very early on. Yeah, You're not quite yourself when that happens. No, so you can't only, commit to challenges. Yeah, their only natural centre-back was on a yellow card. You know, So, so yeah, this was a disaster. Waiting to happen for Atalanta all all the way around, and even with Skamaka's injury, of course, that's a big presence up front that they they were missing. Um, Torino, they needed Absolutely. this. Huh? They needed this. It was a very good performance by them. Finally, they got ticking. Um, it seemed like Atalanta tried to almost mirror them man to man, but but Torino were just super superior in every aspect. Yeah, um, and maybe the fact that they didn't have any midweek as well helped a lot. Um, but they did seem more energetic, more lively. I'm just straight out the better team. Um, you remember Demp- Dembasek? Of course. Yeah. Of course. You realize he's been missing for a while? My God, yes. Yeah, he's got a bit of a situation going on right now, man, Dembasek. What's wrong with Dembasek? He's in, in the midst of a revenge porn scandal, my <gasps> brother. Yes, was, like there's some serious incriminating evidence no. of him threatening a woman like that. No. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, repeat after me. Dembasek. Bad. There we go. All right. Torino. Stand. My God, you shocked me, man. Yeah. Torino are in 10th, of course. I just addressed this. They have overtaken Monza and have 19 points sitting comfortably mid-table, while Atalanta are in 8th with 20 points. Um, It's still only two points off a European place in the Conference League, so it's very much still early days and they're very much alive. 
Um, but we'll see because now it's four matches in a row without a without a win for for Atalanta. So it's um, quite a crisis for them. What's going on in Italy with all these defensive injuries? Injuries all across the board, but Inter defense in shambles. Mm-hmm. Milan defense in shambles. It's in Milan and Bergamo, dog. <gasps> in Milan and Bergamo, there's a Fucking massive hell. problem with defensive injuries. All right. If you have any theories, guys, let us know because I'm genuinely stumped. Like, I don't know. When I, when I look at the teams who are suffering from injuries, even Juve. Uh, even Juve have, have a couple of defensive uh, injuries. Yeah. In the north. I, I would, <laughs> Just I keep would broadening just, it. Yeah. Like. <laughs> in the north. <laughs> in the north. <laughs> it's... Sides that play with high intensity, and that's why I always thought was the problem with Milan, Milan's injuries. And but, but you know, at the end of the day, like there are teams that run more and they don't have as many injuries, you know what I mean? But then they're not playing as, as frequently as these guys are. So I don't, I'm stumped, man. I don't know. Get new medical stuff, push yours, get a 40 man squad instead of a 30 man squad. I don't know, man. Well, to be fair, I injured my knee recently, guys. Right? How yeah. do you do it? Getting out of bed. How how I oh, injured my knee. Panties. I did nothing wrong. It's the nothing way wrong. I was born. My knee faces inwards. So you have one of those like ugh. So my that's, knee faces. That's, that's incredibly unattractive. That, that's an ick. That's, that's an, an ick. ick yeah. Believe me, I know it's an ick, bro. But you know what's an even bigger ick? Mm. Arthritis. You got it? No. <laughs> but when I looked up, like, okay, why is my my meniscus like hurting my lateral meniscus and I now my have one of those. And, and now my shin is here i think it's like oh, arthritis and i'm like that that is the most unattractive thing you can have arthritis i think as a 26 year old man 26 though. just having arthritis but i don't have it all right don't spread misinformation guys i see you matthew um, from three hour has arthritis i don't have arthritis that's another three hour shout out brother and Ugh. it's two nil now it's two you're right you're right When's the next episode of Growing Next Day? Monday I'm recording. Don't you don't have to you say worry. it three times. Three times. So it's draw because I've just said I've said the name of the podcast. Or say four and we're ahead. Right? <laughs> there we go. But anyway, my knee is hurting um, because it's in the wrong place. So I'm supposed to be doing exercises for it, and and like I got this weird treatment done to it, and I just thought of like obviously footballers, what they do is so strenuous of course so no, i understand no that they get so many injuries you know what i mean but how come in in england and, and and all these places there aren't as many injuries as there are in italy why do the italians get even more injured but is that statistically accurate because i've seen that there are injury crises of course happening. but like milan every season milan though, there's a problem every there. season. there's an obvious problem with me with milan because it's been since i was a fucking kid since I was watching Pato and all those guys, Milan have. I remember Milan going into Champions League games when I was a kid and like missing three of their best players. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just a thing that 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 happens with me. I, I don't know if it's the medical stuff. I don't know if it's the, the training routines. I honestly, I am so stumped when it comes to this because I don't think any Milan fan can answer this question. Um, Zlatan blamed the pitch once, the pitch at Milanello in his book. Okay. He said that um, that's the reason he, he got injured so many times and apparently a few of the players was a thing, like they would comment on it. The pitch at Milanello, the training ground. So I don't know if that's the thing. I mean, if Zlatan's saying that's it, that he was there and he was training, he probably knows more than we do. So maybe that's the answer to that. Man. He probably, probably, yes. Probably he knows a bit more than us. <laughs> 
we jump to Sassuolo Roma. Shall we? Sassuolo 1, Roma 2. Before we get into this, shall we address what um, Mourinho said about Berardi? Yes. Oh, that was hilarious, man. He said, um, if Berardi was my player, I'd have a problem with him. <laughs> yeah, I love him as a footballer, but I hate how he behaves on the pitch. He wins non-existent penalties. He gets players booked with dubious yellows. He's the type of player that I don't like. Um, Sergio Ramos. Shabby Alonso. Yeah. He literally made them get yellow cards. To strategically get suspended the in the Champions League. The entire inter-treble winning team. The entire inter-treble winning team. These are what he's saying. Berardi is... He described... His favourite Mourinho player. described Berardi as a Mourinho player yeah, over yeah, there. Yeah. As a Mourinho player. I don't know if this guy is just playing next-level mind games. Yes, or if he's so bro. deluded that he has no idea what type of f- brand of football he promotes. And the type of football Roma play when they're... Kicking people to the yeah. ground and Mancini just destroying everyone in his yeah, spot. Ma- Mancini is chill, you know. Yeah, he's so a, he's a fair the, the Bala Mancini. doesn't dive. The Bala yeah, never dived. No, he never. No one ever got a, a dubious yellow card because <laughs> of the Bala. Never, never. Yeah. But Drogba, anyway. Drogba never dived. No, Drogba. <laughs> you're joking. Yeah, really clean player. <laughs> now, despite his recent return to fitness, Pellegrini started this game on the bench, replaced by Bove. Uh, Smalling and Kumbulla, of course, still injured and therefore replaced by Lorente and Indica at centre-back. Kumbulla, my lord. Uh, Viti, Obiang and Alvarez were out for Sassuolo, but an expected lineup nonetheless, uh, with Torsvet starting ahead of Bayrami in that attacking midfield role. Uh, Mourinho caused some more controversy in the press conference before this match by suggesting he was worried about referee... Matteo Marcenaro and the VAR team. Before before heading into the game, he's, he's, he's speaking to the press. I'm worried about these guys in the VAR. <laughs> they have players like Berardi. They're <laughs> just anxious in the press room. Like um, something goes after this was Roma were also coming off a one-one away draw to Servette in the Europa League on a Thursday night. The pressing stuff there by Roma. However, Matthäus Henrique opened the scoring for Sassuolo again. Um, he tapped in after Berardi's scuffed attempt turned into, let's say, an inadvertent assist. Um, Henrique scoring and opening the scoring there in the 25th minute. At halftime, Mourinho made some tactical adjustments. He brought on Azmoon and Christensen. Uh, clearly altering the formation to a 3-4-2-1. In the 63rd minute, where Roma were still looking to equalise, Daniel Boloca's studs-up tackle on Paredes led to a yellow card initially, um, but it was upgraded to a straight red after a VAR review, reducing Sassuolo to 10 men. Paredes is a chill guy, no? Paredes, Paredes he never uh, dives, he I've never I've never fouls. seen Paredes kick the ball directly to the opposition bench. <laughs> never in my life. <laughs> Madonna. Um, but you remember the the series we were watching? What is it? Spurs till I die. Uh, all or nothing Spurs, not Spurs. All or nothing Spurs. When Mourinho mm. was the manager, what was that one thing he said about when they get a red card, bro? 
זה בי הקאנט. אהההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההה
who's mm. 29 years old. And when you look at the midfield, it's always good to have a cool head in midfield, a player with a lot of experience in the league, a Derun type of guy, mm. um, you know, a Brozovic type of player. Um, Sassuolo have Boloka, who's playing his first real professional season in Serie A, right? He's 24 years old, not the youngest, okay, but that's an inexperienced player. Playing alongside mm-hmm. Enrique, who's 25 years old, another kind of inexperienced player in front of them. Boom, Thorsvet, 24 years old. You know what I mean? So, And every year they change these profiles. It's not yeah. like they, they grow with the team. Mm. They, they fucking sell players off and bring in new players. So it's like every year, Sassuolo have this problem of inexperience in their team. Which, of course, in some games, these guys are brave. These guys get ticking. These guys beat Inter. You know what I mm. mean? They, they, can't be, they can't turn the tide round and just pull out a performance that mm-hmm. inspires the viewers, for example. But most of the time, you're just looking at a team that doesn't have enough experience uh, the, to the, kind of close games off. That's the self-destruct button. Man. The, the the thing is, man, they get you that first goal and, and they look like they're going to win the game and then the self-destruct button comes because they have talent. They're, they're definitely talented, because but they're not you see, experienced. You see other teams, let's say Empoli, Verona, Lecce, you, you, you see these guys that clearly they're good, but that's as far as it goes. Sassuolo can be not spectacular, but Sassuolo can be very, very, very fucking good. Mm-hmm. They bring the games to their opponents when they demolish Milan 5-2 last season, when they beat Inter this season. No one else has been able to do it yet. They're Robin Hood, the classic Robin Hood, yeah, yeah. right? But then there, there's something in them where it's just like, no, self-destruct. Boom. We're not going to do this today. Yeah, um... And of course, there are many, many factors, right? Of course, there's the, the lack of experience. There's um, the fact that, again, they have no fans. Mm. It's getting the a Mape, bit better. It's getting a bit better, sure. But you look at the footage, bro. The Mape stadium, this, this match against Roma, was all Roma. Bro, we experienced it firsthand, what it's like. Don't think that the Sassuolo Curva has grown much since we were no, there. No, we no. were there. We went there with our fucking Sassuolo kids or Sassuolo enter with Mint, thinking we're going to have a bit of a vibe. Like, there was absolutely no Sassuolo vibe whatsoever. It was all Inter fans. Every everywhere. single fan. I have to say, they were a lovely group. They I were nice. They didn't beat some us Inter up. fans yeah. behind us. Like, when, when Berardi scored, and that went crazy. Uh, they were just laughing, and we were like, calma, calma. So they, they knew. They knew. <laughs> you remember, like, a point they got our curve. I'm going, look at that, brother. Look at look that. At that. that. <laughs> look what we've got over there. <laughs> but, yeah, um, it was all Roma. It felt like a home game for them. Yeah, it doesn't help pile the pressure on their... Relatively inexperienced midfield got a red card and then boom! All of a sudden you have a, you're a man down uh, in a game which feels like you're away from home with the fans on your back and you're against Jose Mourinho who is yeah. who knows exactly how to take full advantage of the situation. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Classic Roma. They don't look insane, but they can definitely, definitely get you a result. And that's what they did here. Uh, they currently sit in fourth place, breaking into that. Champions League zone, level on points with Napoli, but with a better goal difference to them. Sassuolo, on the other hand, in 15th on 15 points. We can jump to Lazio 1, Cagliari 0, a game that was marred by 
individual errors for Cagliari, to be honest with you, because Hatsi Diakos' first few minutes were terrible before he was substituted. Mm. It was one of the worst displays I've seen so far in the league by someone who was um, substituted as early as the 32nd minute, in fact. Um, but it was Makumbu actually who changed the outline of the game. Um, he had a professional last man foul on Guendouzi when he pulled him to the ground. It was kind of Kellini-esque. Mm. And I did, I wasn't sure if it was the last man the first time I saw it. But then upon further viewing, um, the replay clearly showed that he was through on goal. Um, and he was sent off. Uh, this was after, of course, Pedro had found the opening goal after Lazari had squared the ball to him and he scored in the 8th minute. Um, that red card came in the 27th minute and till then, uh, and from then on, rather, uh, Lazio managed to see the game out. Um, it was in the 90th minute when Esela Metti Senia Pavoletti was on, but his header was saved by Provedel. Brilliantly, yeah, very good save. save. I actually saw um, recently uh, Provedel, I believe it was in the Champions League, where he wasn't tested too much and he seemed to lose concentration and he made some rookie errors. But in this game, he really managed to stay focused, even though Cagliari weren't really, uh, they didn't really keep him busy um, until the 90th minute and then Mm -hmm. he still had it in him to pull that save off. So his concentration has definitely improved. Yeah, and he did have um, a few good saves this game. it was a game that saw two of the Serie A's most veteran coaches in Ranieri and Sarri. They don't get much older than those two. Felipe yeah. <laughs> um, Anderson was actually listed to start, but Isaacson started instead of him. Um, yeah, Scoffet also had a few good saves for, for Cagliari, but it wasn't enough. And Lazio managed to see the game through, to be honest, quite easily. Um, even though Immobile hasn't managed to make it 200 goals um, in Serie A. He's on 198 currently Oof. and uh, he's, he's very close huh, to hitting that 200 goal mark. Yeah, I, I mean, he'll, he'll get them this season, I'm, I'm quite Probably, sure. Probably, right? Yeah, yeah, two penalties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was impressed by Sulamana. Sulamana had a few good tackles as well um, into this game. Um, but yeah, not much else to, to write home about for this one, a pretty straightforward win and a very important win for Lazio, who had been quite moody. They'd been on and off, right? Uh, they had mm. three winless games in a row with two defeats and a draw, but now they have climbed to ninth and are on 20 points and they're in contention for that conference league and those Europa League spots as well. Um, season still early of course as we always discuss and that fourth spot is only four points away from Lazio so they're, they're right up there for Champions League qualification as well they're in the running with Bologna Atalanta even Torino to a certain extent <laughs> can, can make a push for it you know um, but yeah on the other hand Cagliari sit in 19th with 10 points one point away from safety in the midst of a relegation dogfight yeah, I mean, a bit more of an exciting game that's coming up. It was Udinese 3, Verona 3. You could call this a relegation dogfight and a derby for the Friuli Venezia Giulia region, <laughs> as well as Gabriele Cioffi facing his former team, naturally. Um, the injury list for the hosts, Udinese, keeps getting longer, including Bijol. Quina, Delafoe, Brenner, Ebosse, Ezibwe, Semedo, and Keenan Davies. Um, while Salas Verona missed Isaac Hien, Davidovic, Saponara, Magnani, and Braff. 
however, Faroni did return uh, from his band. There were a lot of changes um, to each lineup in, in this game, um, adding to obviously the, the chaotic nature of a relegation dogfight. Christian Cabasele scored the opener by converting Alazar Samardzic free kick at the far post, making it 1 0 to Udinese. Lorenzo Luca doubled Udinese's lead with a good finish after a Pereira cross. Um, it was New Imperius who regained possession here for Udinese and restarted the attack after his tackle on Ingonj. It was absolutely fantastic. Verona fought back with a Milan Juric penalty following a Cabasele handball, making it 2 1. And then Verona finally equalised with an insane Cyril Ingonj bicycle kick after a Thomas Suslov cross to make it 2 2. Mm. That was our goal of the week. However, Udinese and then regained the lead as Luca got his second goal of the night uh, after a towering header from a Florian Touvan cross, a brilliant cross by Touvan and a great finish by Luca, who looked more like himself in this match, who had raved about mm. him for a while when he was in Serie B. Um, and now he's showing that form all the way up in Serie A. And then Sandy Lovrich missed a chance to seal the win for Udinese. So selfish. <laughs> Hitting it wide um, in an empty net, yeah. to, be, to be completely fair to Sandy Lovrich. He had Thuvan open, man. Yeah, had Thuvan open, World Cup winner, of course. You should have played him the ball over there. Yeah, but yeah, I must say I'm totally impressed by Lorenzo Luca, 23 years old, of course. Now you can tell his time at Ajax was quite... Um, unremarkable however he did come back with this broader knowledge of the game and it's quite clear to see that awareness wise he's he's a very good striker and positionally and like the way he flicks the ball onto his, to his teammates um he's got that Ajax yeah. kind of mindset instilled and um his first goal was taken so brilliantly mm-hmm. and that second goal the towering header well. was just so good as well yeah yeah um, he definitely showed us that in this game. Uh, Verona then capitalised uh, from Sandy Lovrich's miss in stoppage time after Thomas Henry secured a dramatic draw with a glancing header after a looping Cyril Ingonj cross where um, Silvestri went out to commit but Thomas Henry got there first and we've criticised Henry before for a good reason uh, for both his attitude and his technique. But here he did, he did well to rise to the occasion. He was brave um, to enter that duel um, uh, with, with Silvestri and he got the better of him over there. And 3-3 and we had won our bet because of that last minute yeah. goal, which was absolutely... It was, seemed crazy, even though we hung in there and we lost it, right, that one? Yeah. Because of the, we had Inter Napoli to end in a draw. Yeah. Napoli Inter rather, but of course um, Inter smashed them. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Cyril Ingonj, ceiling, bro. Do you see him making a big move next season? I don't see a massive move mm-hmm. for Ngonj. Um In fact, he had a bit of a slower start to this season. Um, one of the points that I wanted to make is he joined Verona in January last mm-hmm. year and he, I'm not going to say he completely turned the season around for them, but he saved them um, yeah. from, from relegation and he was clearly their best player alongside Lazovic last season. Um, and now th- this goal is going to give him the confidence to kind of refigure and recalibrate that form that he had last year. Um, I don't see a massive move. He's definitely not going to join a top eight team. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah, put yeah, it yeah, that yeah. way. But we could see him move to a team that maybe, like a Torino, yeah. for example. I see that happening. What do you think? To be honest, I feel like his next move will be out of out of Italy, personally. Mm. But um, I but forgot yeah. that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, he... Uh, 
he's shown good promise and he is a player of moments and he definitely has game-changing moments in him but he also leaves a lot to be desired on certain moments there was one a one-on-one last season where he lazily tried to chip the keeper mm. and it was fucking dreadful um, I'll never forget that so so yeah with Ngonji it's a bit of a mixed bag but uh, last match day he did try a bicycle kick and he failed to score this season tra- this game he tried the exact same bicycle kick and this time he got it top bins perfectly yeah so, and it was, it was a, a great goal so nice to see he has that in his locker he's definitely a talented player yeah and he's playing behind the striker at the moment we've seen him play in a two up top we've seen him play as a single striker and we've seen him play out on the right hand side as well but Suslov is now starting on the right hand side and at the moment you can't bench Milan Juric Mm -hmm. who is on fine form okay it was a penalty that he scored in this game but even simply when it comes to Verona's goal kicks I remember watching Milan Verona live last season at San Siro every single Montepo goal kick went straight to Juric and Juric is there laying it down to either Lazovic Mm -hmm. and Gondra in this case Suslov Um, and he is a massive asset to the team when he's on he can look clumsy he can look like he doesn't belong Mm -hmm. on a football pitch but he's looked good this season and, yes, and he's I carrying mean, hot form. He's a proper target, man, and he's a reference point up front. He can literally hoof the ball upfield to Juric and nine times out of ten he's going to win the air. He'll duel yeah. and knock the ball down to a teammate. Mm-hmm. And he's very useful for a lowly team like Verona, I'll just say that. Yeah. yeah. I also want to highlight, bro, Martin Payero had a very good game. He had 15 recoveries, the, oh, the wow. most in this match day. Yeah. Wow. So very good, very good performance by him for... For the Udinese man. Uh-huh. I, I thought, I, I think at the moment Duda is looking much better than he looked last season. Yeah. He became a bit of a meme at a point last season after yeah. a spell of very average performances. Um, I don't think Lazovic has, has quite been himself yet this season. Yeah, not, not at all. Like He um, has struggled to even really cement his name, his place into the starting eleven. Mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Like, he's quite a... He's not exactly a staple in this team. Um, yeah. Every time Suslov gets the ball, I think the commentator is saying Suso, by the way. <laughs> and yeah, uh, Suslov! Right, right like, winger Suso. as well. Yeah. You have to say that, that Verona, um, they, they showed great spirit to obviously equalise so late on. Um and they only made two substitutions because they've got such a decimated squad. They only brought on Bonazzoli and Thomas Henry. Yeah. That That's the only substitutions they could make. So you're looking over here at nine players that weren't substituted. The only ones that were substituted were Juric and Lazovic. Yeah. You see nine of these guys that, that gave it all for 90 minutes trying to find Absolutely. that goal and, and Absolutely. trying to get back into this game. So all credit to them. That is a, that is how a team should react to being in the situation there and with all those injuries and, and being down in 18th place. Odinese, on the other hand, I mean, you, you would think that having the lead so much in, in the game, being 2-0 up um, and then being 3-2 up in the latter stages of the game would mean that they could get get it over the line, especially with their Serie A experience mm-hmm. and their stable, their, like, stable experience in Serie A. Um, but they too have a bit of an identity crisis going on right now. Curious to see what happens to Samardzic with the transfer window coming up, bro. We'll see. I mean, he was pretty much already um, a done deal for Inter. For Inter was it Inter or Juve? Inter. Inter was okay. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yes, Inter, and he he never actually the deal fell through last minute. So I do see 
that he's already going one step one foot out the door and I do see him making the move you know he's got a wonderful left foot and he's a He's too good to be playing for me, yeah. quite frankly. The Udinese. Uh, for, yeah, for Udinese, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Udinese do have a few technically gifted left-footed players, don't they? Yeah. And that, with success's injury, Luca really took the most out of that chance he was given because Isaac's success actually started this game. Yeah, exactly. And um, I, I, I do hope that Lorenzo Luca will be starting from now on because he's a much better player than Isaac's success when it comes to his technique, when it comes to his goal prowess, when it comes to his aerial ability, everything, to be honest. Um, yeah. Isaac's success has that industry about him. That's exactly. It. But no, I think Lucas earned himself a, a starting spot now um, yeah. for, for Udinese. I think Pereira brought something good with him when he rejoined the team um, in the latter stages of the transfer market. He was recently a, a free agent and then Udinese had a dreadful start. They were like, you know what, you can come back in. And that's like the, the Zlatan kind of mm-hmm. morale boost that he brings to the rest of the team, having that experience and, and being that caliber of a player within the team. Mm-hmm. But that's enough for, for this game. Um, when it comes to Udinese, they're in 16th place on 12 points, only two points ahead of Verona, who are in 18th on 10 points. Yeah, and then there was Bologna 1, Lecce 1. And the first thing that I saw when I flicked this game on was a Lecce fan holding a, a sign of, uh, I believe it was a, some kind of rodent wearing a Lecce kit cooking Bolognese. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that was the <laughs> their little jab at Bologna. Medium rare there. dig. Yeah, medium rare dig right there. Um, the former Bologna man Sansone was on the bench, was replaced by Strefezza, and Belkema and Zergzi started on the bench. For Bologna, an interesting move over there with Van Huydink and Lukumi starting instead of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Bologna haven't won away from home yet this season, despite their fantastic start. They haven't won. They, they've held some big teams away from home, but they actually haven't managed a victory away from home. While Lecce are winless in eight games. Um, yeah, so so this trend continued for both teams, to be honest, as mm-hmm. the lecture didn't win, and of course neither did Bologna. Um, I was watching TSN the other day, and it got an interview with Falcone, mm. who apparently, when he was a kid, he was a, he was a child actor, and he featured in an Italian movie, right? And they were talking to him and interviewing him, and he said that he likes to be the main character, and sometimes playing as a goalkeeper, he does feel like he's the main character, and that's why he likes it. And boy, was he the main character in this game. So the first goal came in the 68th minute through Liko Janis, who had a perfect, an inch perfect free kick shortly after coming on. Just he had been on the pitch for 10 minutes before he stepped up to take this free kick and he converted it mm-hmm. beautifully. Listen, you watch that free kick with classical music playing in the background. It's a, it's a yeah. joy to watch. Um, and then Falcone ran up the pitch for a corner in the dying moments of the game. Um, which was whipped in, right? I believe it wasn't a direct corner, like there was a bit of commotion. Falcone stayed up, the ball was squared in. Falcone was about to convert, and Calafiori pulled him to the ground, and Falcone won the penalty. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's the first ever goalkeeper in Serie A to win a penalty for for his team. So that's um, interesting, and I'm sure he enjoyed that, being the main character over there. (laughs) Roberto Piccoli, the man on fine form for Lecce, stepped up and converted and ran straight to the fans, of course, in celebration. It was a lovely moment over there, and the the spoils were shared um, in this 1-1 draw. Amazing, huh? Like, the first half, like, 
I, I thought that Bologna were really struggling to find that that, that just that final touch yeah. to get them um, the victory or to get them the goal. And then the 58th minute where they realize like, okay, this is getting quite concerning. Bring on Moro, bring on Freuler, bring on Zergze, bring on Liko Janis, and they turned it up, managed to get a goal in the 68th, and then nothing was working for Lecce. 97th minute goalkeeper goes up, wins a penalty, and it's converted by Piccoli. Yeah. Wow, man. Bologna um, definitely were definitely punished for their wasteful yeah. um, display nature. this yeah. game, yes, wasteful nature. But yeah, that's pretty much that game. Um, it's a shame that there was no winner because I felt like Bologna were going to get their first away win of the season again. But it's nice to see Lecce still uh, fighting for their lives and sitting in 13th with 16 points while Bologna are all the way up in 7th with 22 points with their European dream still alive. Yep. Fiorentina 3, Salernitana nil is the next game, brother. Uh, the Viola were fresh from qualifying for the Conference League knockouts by beating Genk 2-1 on Thursday. Uh, with Dodo and Gaetano Castrovilli, the only long-term absentees for this team. Um, Pipponzaghi's side got their first win of the season against Lazio last week, with Bulaedia back on the bench, but Ochoa was still injured and Norbert Gjomber um, laid out by flu. Now, Lucas Beltran broke the deadlock by converting a penalty after Melo was brought down in the box, securing his first Serie A goal. Good to see over there, especially we're speaking last week about the dry spell that Fiorentina strikers are on. The Viola nearly doubled their lead when Jonathan Icona's header was deflected, forcing a desperate save from Salernitana's goalkeeper Benoit Costil. However, the standout moment came from Sotil, who unleashed a stunning right-footed curler. Um, the strike clipped both the underside of the crossbar and the inside of the far post, leaving Costil helpless in goal. It was a brilliant goal. We also criticised Sotil a little bit last yeah. week. We said that his ceiling is not that high um, and that he's been disappointing so far this season when you compare to the ceiling that we initially thought that he had. Salernitana's attempts to rally fell short when Iquimezi's header bounced off of the crossbar early in the second half. And then Fiorentina capitalized on their opponent's missed chances when Bonaventura swept home a low cross by Sotil to extend Fiorentina's lead to 3 0. His sixth goal of the season, Bonaventura. He's Madonna. never had a start like this, huh? Fantastic player. Yeah. And he's aged like fine wine. Um, and we do have a listener question actually about him leaving Milan, but we'll save that for either later on this episode or the next one, depending on on how the time looks. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, um, Salernitana definitely left a lot to be desired. Um, their standout performance, probably their goalkeeper, who pulled off quite a few saves this match day. Um, I can give you the exact number right now. He made seven saves, which is Madonna. quite a lot, considering you know he's conceded three. Poor guy. Mm-hmm. Still managed to pull off seven saves. That's quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, Fiorentina blew Salernitana right out of the water. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that double pivot midfield that we've praised before of Duncan and Arthur, or for that case, sometimes it's Mandragora and Arthur. Mm. I think Arthur has found his place um, in Italian football. No, it wasn't when when he was at Juve. It wasn't maybe when he was um, at Barcelona all the way in Spain. I think Arthur at the moment is playing the best football that he's played ever. At Fiorentina. Yeah, and he was viewed as a as a joke, as almost a money laundering scheme. To be yeah. Honest, as a part of the yeah. Pjanic uh, deal. But but nice to see that he's settled so well with Vincenzo Italiano. He's a pivotal part of this team. Yeah, I think so. I think so. 
Um, obviously, I, I want to highlight the performance of Sotil, who grabbed a goal and an assist in this game, proving this area spotlight doubter is um, wrong. Look, when 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 he's on, he's on. He looks good. It's just that he's barely ever. Yeah, he's um, wildly on. inconsistent and um, often a bit selfish at times. Often leaves a lot to be desired uh, technically as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nico Gonzalez didn't feature in this match, which pissed me off because I have him on fantasy football. Um, but is he injured? Did he have a knock or something? There's no mention of him. Uh, no, he was on the he bench. Was on the though, bench. Yeah. Maybe That's he was right. carrying something light and they didn't want to risk him. Um, Barak, bro, like, you know, Barak is a good player, man, and we're just not yeah. seeing any of him it's, whatsoever. It's strange. Um, he hasn't... He hasn't been doing well at, at Fiorentina, to be honest. He was a beast at Hellas Verona. He needs a move. He needs a move yeah. now. Yeah, honestly. Sometimes it just doesn't work for you and you need a slight step down, I think, or a sideways move to try to rejuvenate your career. But it's not working for him with Italiano, definitely. Yeah. I think uh, Icone is slowly, slowly starting to be reintroduced to the squad out on the right-hand side. He looked better today. He was way more involved. Back to being that direct right winger that we're used to seeing. Look, when it comes to Salernitana, I can't really say much. I don't think... I, I think they had spirit and it pretty mm-hmm. much ends there. They were always looking for a goal, no matter what state they were in in this match. Um, but I mean, that, that that's as far as it goes. Unfortunately, this team is lacking a lot of quality. The only quality that you could see out of these 11 players um, is probably that of Kandreva when Dia isn't on the pitch, man. Yeah, and he's one of the players who's heavily criticised by the Salernitana faithful for not actually, you know, pressing and working as hard as he should be. But you have to remember that at the end of the day, he's a veteran player, right? He doesn't have the energy. He can't be pressing, of course, like everyone else. He's 36 years old. So they should just be grateful, of course, that he's there. Maybe, maybe you know, reinforce his position so he doesn't have to be a... A staple, you know, every mm. every single game. So you give him some competition. You can bring him off the bench um, for as an impact substitute, for example, or just take him out early if he's if the game is going on a bit too fast for him. But as we know, Kandreva was a man of spectacular moments, and yeah, obviously he's going to be playing. Yeah, regardless of how old he is or who he's playing with, <laughs> or whether he's pressing or not. Yeah, exactly. Last week we said Bologna will will finish above Fiorentina. Fiorentina are in sixth, one point ahead of Bologna <laughs> on 23 points, while Salernitana sit dead last on just eight points, brother. Oof, yeah, um, not a good start for them at all, um, even though they had been playing a little bit better under Inzaghi. Now, um, we can move on to the final game, I believe. This is the last yes, one, sir. right? Genoa 1, Empoli 1. Um, another interesting game. Uh, Barney, Strutman and Goodmanson were out for Genoa. Now, this is very important when you think about it because you have Barney and Strutman who give you a lot of experience and Goodmanson who's their top scorer. And yeah. uh, then you look at Retegui who's just come back from an in- injury as well playing. Uh, they had Voliaccio stepping in as centre-back, by the way. Okay. Uh, Messias made his first full debut, which just highlights the extent of the injuries that Genoa have had. Like, they brought in a player like Messias and he hasn't actually started the game up until now. Yeah, he was injured in pre-season. Exactly, no? he didn't arrive in top condition. Um, yeah, and he had a fantastic game, Messias. The first half, he was brilliant. The second half, he was tired. And this is a theme this season which really highlights Genoa's lack of depth. Mm. Um, the fact that they... They really struggle in second halves and their second halves are pretty much unwatchable. They're so good in the first and they start off so early and they, they, mm-hmm. they really push, man. 
early on. They were they shot in the first minute this match. And the game was open from the get-go. You know, I have Kambiagi missing a one-on-one early on. Then in the 32nd minute, Messias hit the crossbar. It was the ninth time Genoa had been denied by the post. That's second after Frosinone um, in Serie A, wow. so far, who have been denied 10 times by the post. <laughs> Yeah, um, Malinowski got a fantastic goal. Um, he scored in the 37th minute. That was his 17th goal from outside the area since his Serie A debut. Fantastic Madonna. over there. And then in the second half, um, there was a double whammy by um, Empoli who removed uh, Fazzini and brought on Kovalenko. And then brought on Cancellieri as well. And funnily enough, the equaliser was set up by Kovalenko to Cancellieri, who had just come on. Hmm. And he scored his second ever Serie A goal. His first one coming, of course, with Hellas Verona. One thing I did notice this game is that Vasquez is always bleeding. (laughs) Always. He's always bleeding from somewhere. He's a very aggressive and physical centre. Quite fun to watch, to be honest with you. Um, Haps almost scored at one point. His awkward effort went just off, just off target. And Haps is having a pretty good season. I think one of the best I've seen from him so far, to be honest. Um, I'm always impressed by Dragosin's ball-playing ability. Yeah. Um, he's a very capable player with the ball at his feet. He whipped in a peach of a cross to Retegui at one point. Uh, Retegui should have crossed it across, uh, should have squared it across the face of goal. But instead, he went for goal himself and uh, looped the ball over the target. Um, at the end of the game, there was a serious huddle by Genoa as uh, there are concerns that they are dropping closer and being pulled into this relegation dogfight. Um, however, their support is great. They have very positive fans who were chanting and singing as though they won the game. Yeah. yeah. But this second half team for Genoa is a massive problem and they do need to improve their depth. Um, they do have a pretty good team, which is a shame. It's just that when injuries hit them, they don't have any anyone to step in. Like Ekuban and Puskas yeah. leave a lot to be desired. With these teams, you typically see uh, a large reason as to why they survive is because of their experienced acquisitions in January, where yeah. they get those, the Rincon kind of signings. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They, they, they bring on some experience. Of course. And we'll see what they can do. I'm sure that the... Their owners will definitely um, improve the team. Did you know that Genoa's president, Alberto Zangrillo, was Berlusconi's doctor? What? what? Yeah, I, I, I didn't know that. Very interesting. But yeah, um, <laughs> interesting, definitely interesting over there. But anyway, we can close things off. Genoa are in 14th place with 15 points, while Empoli are in 17th place with 11 points, one point from the drop as it stands. Guys, before we end this episode, we're going to hand over to one of our patrons, Matthias, who has incredible ball knowledge and has a lot to say about Bologna and their season so far. And I think it will be an interesting listen. I listened to it in the car in traffic and it definitely helped my journey um, from work (laughs) to my house. Which was which was great. Um, regarding the question segment, we'll be doing that as we did last episode. We'll be releasing a mini episode, kind of more laid back episode, uh, if that's even possible. <laughs> and it'll probably come out in two days. Yeah, something like okay, that. But... Tomorrow I've got my Christmas party. Oh, yes. I've I've got drinks tomorrow as okay, well. Okay, okay. So... so we can have, make a hungover episode on exactly. Saturday morning. Exactly. Yeah, we might that's good. have a beer as well. Fuck exactly. It. Fuck it. So over to you, Matthias. Hello guys, Matthias here. Uh, I have some thoughts uh, which I wanted to send to you about Bologna, but I'm going to start off by just saying 
with a voice note and I want to congratulate you on the 100th episode. Uh, I didn't have the chance to read in my message, so I sent it to you by text uh, and I want to sort of... Uh, uh, I want I want to just say that that I really support you and I think that you're doing a great job. Uh, I thought listen to you last week when you talked about uh, Bologna Torino and I thought you had a lot of interesting things to say about Bologna and I really find Bologna to be one of the more sort of intriguing sides of this season and obviously since they are in fifth sixth and no one really thought that they would uh, perform this well uh, during this autumn. I'm guessing that everyone is trying to figure out what's going on with them why are they so good and these are like my two cents on it and I really would like to hear what you think about it uh, I find it very sort of striking that Bologna are so good at controlling the tempo of the game and also sort of controlling what type of match what type of matchup they get with a lot of teams by holding on to possession uh, with their three-man midfield with uh, Abisher and uh, it was Fabian against Torino but you also have um, uh, Ferguson of course and some other possible pieces there as well and I think they are especially good at doing this against the 3-4-3 sides who tend to want to sort of counter or in different ways expose teams by attacking on the wings and therefore are sort of a bit too... Uh, what do you say, allowing for teams like Bologna to control the tempo. And I think Bologna is really good at sort of stopping this by holding on to the ball, by not letting go of the ball too easily, uh, since they are sort of not challenged centrally in the field. And I think that there is, uh, that's sort of the reason why they have been so good and not lost many games at all this fall. And the only teams which they have actually lost against are of course uh, Milan in the first fixture and then Fiorentina away and I don't think it's a coincidence that these two teams have also have really good sort of solid central midfields who can actually sort of win the ball from Bologna or actually challenge them possession wise and uh, and uh, <clears throat> sort of we say like grab the tool from them and and twist it out of their hand uh, and I think that's sort of the key key thing to do if you want to beat Bologna as well and I think you could see that a little bit in the game against Lecce this match day because I felt that Lecce sort of tried to hold on hold tried to sort of hold on to more of the possession and you could see Bologna becoming a bit more uh, stressed by that and playing the ball a bit too quick and I think one of the good things I mean Having this sort of like possession-based play as a defensive way of approaching the game uh, not let it, by not letting the other team have the ball is, of course, kind of like basic. But I think what Bologna... Well, of course, what Bologna really gets out of this is that they have so... Uh, they have three really good offensive players who can do a lot on their own. Uh, Orsolini, of course, everyone has known about him for years. I don't think he's he's uh, good enough to play in a top four side because he tends to do a lot of things on his own. But in this type of environment where Motta has sort of let him be a be a like a maverick on the wing uh, and use that to his advantage, I think they've done this. He suits perfectly, as well as Ferguson, who is of course a very sort of underrated but very physical and can can really help Bologna in different ways. But of course, also uh, Xerxy, the the phenom of this year, I would say he's he's been really good. He's been doing getting a lot of points, of course. And one of the things which I've also sort of noticed with him 
and I want to hear your thoughts on is that I think it's a bit unappreciated how good he is on the edge of the box because of course he's a number nine and he's quick and he's strong and he's good on finishing but he does a lot of things just outside of the penalty area uh, where he gets defenders reluctant on how to position themselves should they go for him and attack him or should they be resting a little bit and if he gets those like two or three seconds to to uh, sort of like pick a, a place where to place the ball in the net or we'll have a really good pass he's really decisive and he's he's good at sort of uh, taking the right decision and making kind of easy plays but but making the right plays and I think he does this really good and I think it's sort of reminiscent of Harry Kane and I don't haven't seen anyone make this comparison so therefore I'm like throwing it out there that I think he's a bit similar in that sense and of course it's a little bit you can probably find other Dutch forwards who are really good at this sort of fitting between the lines between a nine and a ten but I I think he's really he could be useful as a sort of backup to a Harry Kane-esque uh, attacker and it's a bit interesting because I read somewhere that Bayern Munich has a buyback clause on him on him for like 20 to 25 million euros this was something which was only written about when he was uh, sold to Bologna so this buyback clause could have been temporary that it is run out but but it's, it's also kind of interesting I also think he does one thing and I saw this primarily against Torino so I'm not sure if he does this every game but I think He's good at, when you play against sort of this three-line defense with man marking, obviously the defending coach or the other coach against Bologna is going to try to put his best defenders on, on Xerxes. Uh, and against Torino, you could see that Buongiorno was actually handling him pretty well, pretty well. But from time to time, and especially on his goal, where I don't really know what Buongiorno was doing, I think that Xerxes has, is sort of good at like mismatching the attack against the defense, finding a weaker defender and sort of seeking him up and trying to get him to try to defend him instead. And I think this could be like an interesting notion because man marking has come back a lot during the last 10 years. And this could be an interesting way for a new, um, like a new generation of forwards to deal with that. Perhaps sort of like some type of, of more uh, basketball-esque way of switching positions and trying to sort of put yourself against a defender who might fit your style of attacking better or worse from his perspective but better and I think Xerxes has that sort of intelligence but of course he's in a he's in a extremely good form right now so everything is going uh, like well for him uh, I think Bologna are gonna be in the challenging for the, are gonna be challenging for the European spots throughout the season I don't see them sort of losing anyone uh, in this uh, winter transfer. I don't think anyone is going to buy Xerxes at this point. Perhaps Ferguson, since he has sort of comes from the British Isles, and of course he's going to be attractive to to uh, like mid-table Premier League teams. But I don't think he needs to make that move right now i think it would benefit him to waste and wait till at least this summer the one thing which could sort of hurt them is if teams do what Lecce did and do what other teams can do and that is sort of try to play like try to play ball with them in the middle not try to be reluctant and wait them out and then counter on them but really try to sort of challenge the game centrally 
because even though they have gotten a lot out of this three-man midfield, I don't think it is impossible to sort of uh, find better ways, like to find ways to make a player like Ebisher look bad in that sense. He's a good, smart midfielder, but I don't think he's top 10 when it comes to registas in Serie A. And I think you could sort of, if you can find the like tactical matchup where you get like regista versus regista, uh, I think a lot of teams have the opportunity to to make make them suffer in this way. Okay, guys, so I'd really just like to hear your thoughts on this and uh, thank you for everything and I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much, Matthias. It's always great hearing from you. It's always great hearing from all of our patrons and, and all of our followers. Thank you very much for wishing us well as well. Um, what I found most interesting about what you said were the comparisons between Zergzei and a player like Harry Kane. Um, I would go so far as to also like roping Karen Benzema into the mix and kind mm. of these strikers that have an eye for an assist and they don't shy away from dropping a little bit um, more back and, mm-hmm. and and allow the wingers to be a bit more inverted and, and a little bit more attacking um, and yeah so good with his back towards goal as well such an intelligent player he's got eyes all around his body um, I also think that yes Bologna's midfield has been one of their strongest points this season and should you really attack that and you stop the source of, of this machine then that's where they can struggle it's the same way if you attack um, Lobotka and you stop Lobotka's supply and last season if you stop Brozovic's supply and you stop Benasser's supply, that's where the team can struggle. Now, because like you said, Arbusher isn't of the toppest quality, then it might be a little bit easier to do that. And having three mm-hmm. left midfielders um, pressing and pressing and pressing in that midfield department, that is what could cause problems mm-hmm. essentially for them. Yes, um, and not to mention that I think their midfield hasn't even peaked yet because they have Freuler, who's been coming off the bench, who I believe is probably their best actual register. Mm. You know, so I think that when once he really gets in tune with the rest of the team, they'll actually be better than they are. But that also demonstrates good depth in midfield, and that really is the the core as to their entire playing style. You know, they they like to control games in the midfield and I feel like um, Freuler would really help them to do that at an even higher level. Um, As per the comparison to Kane, I I like it. I do think it's accurate. I think that uh, Xerxes is like a diluted, less prolific version of Kane with maxed out technique. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I don't think Harry Kane has the technique that Xerxes has, but then I don't think Xerxes has the goal scoring prowess. That um, that Harry Kane has. Harry Kane is also capable of dropping deeper and finding pinging wingers, pinging balls. the balls over yeah. the top. I haven't seen Xerxes doing that, though, of course. Xerxes has got a long way to go. He's still at the start of his career, while Kane has pretty much demonstrated what he can do with the, on the on the biggest stages of, of world football. Yeah, I think I think it's more the role that they yeah. play in the attacking role that he's referring to than the quality. Yeah. Exactly, and and it's his ability, like like he said, Matthias put perfectly to, to kind of play on the edge of the area, invite defenders to pressure to pre- pressure him, and he calmly punishes them. Yeah, with a, with a simple ball or simply placing the ball into the back of the net. Um, like his goal against Inter, he's got yeah. three massive centre backs attacking him, and 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 he so calmly just backs off away from them and finishes into the bottom corner, leaving a keeper like Sommer rooted to the spot. There are a few strikers that can do that. We're talking about lone strikers in Serie A and how good you have to be to perform 
well as a lone striker, Zergs is one of them, clearly, no? Yeah, absolutely, bro, absolutely. So thank you very much, guys, for listening. Thank you, Matthias, for your voice note. You can catch us in two days for the question episode. And until then, may the Lord bless you. And may the devil stay the fuck away from you. This is Seria Spotlight. If you like Serie A or have ever liked it in the past, it's a good opportunity for you to listen once a week and you'll get filled in. In the football weekend, that's like the main dish. But then a few days later, you drop your episode and that's like the dessert. And the dessert is just perfect. It's good, okay? It makes it feel like we're all sitting in a room together, just BSing with each other. The atmosphere is fantastic. I promise nobody will ask you to send boob pics. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be shit. I love how you go into so much detail and show so much passion towards each and every team. Literally, no team is left undiscussed. When I listen to you, it's like I'm talking to you in a pub. It's like I'm chatting to a friend and you're chatting to me.